Welcome to another episode of Chris Reed's Book. week's episode of Chris Reed's book. I'm Chris Pullman, your author, resident online podcaster, however you'd like to phrase it, I guess. And I am here to read you two chapters out of my second novel, Martian Reporter, Humanity's New Hope. If this is your first podcast, this is a uh, serial podcast. So I would encourage you to go back and listen to all the other episodes out of this season. I'm calling this season two. So I would go back and listen to those so that you get uh, the rest of the story before this chapter. Uh, But in the meantime, feel free to just listen through this on your own. And uh, then go back and get the other ones if you think that it's worthwhile to do so. So we're going to read two chapters. As I said, the first one is Intimidation. The second is Planning a Martian Vacation. Alright, Intimidation. You lord over us with armed guards and expect civility in return? The minority whip of Mars's Colonial Congress was red-faced with anger. She was right to be angry. But soon it would not matter. You are a high politician, madame, Chaos said evenly in reply. I expect decorum, not civility. The speaker assured me you were a reasonable man. I see now it was just another of his many lies, the whip shot back. He only told you what I told him to. The speaker follows my orders. This brought a new level of shock to the faces of all the politicians in the room. All fourteen of them. Ten were from the minority minority majority in the Martian House. The remaining four were important majority members of various triune legislative committees. You dare claim to hold sway over the speaker? exclaimed one of the majority members as she leaned forward on the table. I dare nothing, Chaos replied. I claim the truth. And the truth of the matter is I do hold sway over the speaker, as well as prominent members of both parties. Their services have not yet been needed, though. Almost everyone began talking, most screaming at chaos. He simply looked around at his guards, catching their gaze, and nodded. They all clicked their weapons off of safety. Despite weapons having been absent from humanity for several hundred years, the simultaneous sound caused all chatter in the room to immediately stop. Better. You will give me the respect my station demands. And what station would that be, your lord highness? One of the majority members asked sarcastically. The guard behind him, in a smooth motion lacking hesitation, smashed his head with the butt of his weapon's stock. The man couldn't help but pitch forward into the table. Blood began running from the wound on his head as well as from his broken nose. How dare you! The whip began to say as two guards trained their weapons on her. Silence resumed. 
The speaker told you all this was a meeting that would help create a new working relationship between the parties. That it would bring about a new type of discourse. He told no lies. The speaker and several of his colleagues have been inoculated with nanites. Several of the politicians gasped. Some on the more secretive committees knew of nanitic technology from reports that had passed across their desks. These nanites have caused them to come under, under my control, Chaos continued. They have retained most of their freedom, but ultimately answer to me. The guards around you were more closely bonded with their nanites. They are unfeeling drones. Their only concern is serving me. It is your choice how you serve me, with some personal liberties yet intact, or as they. Distressed and angry looks found their way toward chaos from all around the room. You mean to assume control of the whole government? The whip asked flatly. I already have. You fools just cannot see it yet, chaos retorted. The people will not stand for it, she replied. With the army I build, they will have no choice. I will bring a new age of order and peace, kept in place with an iron fist! Chaos exclaimed, striking the table as his eyes flashed black. There are those who will oppose you, the whip said. Chaos heard a click. None of them would have had enough brains to bring in an explosive. Enough of this! Inoculate them! As a unit, the guards swung their weapons on their straps, pulled out hyposprays, and injected the politicians after firmly grasping their heads. The thick, dark serum worked its way into their veins. Most of them gasped at the pain, clawing at their arms and necks. The whip sat stoically, her body trembling from the effort. After a couple of moments, her pupils dilated wide. She blinked twice, and they regained focus. Give me what you activated, Chaos said to the whip. Struggling against herself, the whip finally slid a small box up the table to Chaos. Choke on it, she managed. Chaos picked up the box, examining it. There was indeed a switch on it, and an acrid smell coming from within. It's self-destructed, Chaos said evenly. Whom did it signal? The whip sat tight-lipped. Stop breathing, Chaos said to her. Her eyes grew wide. Before any of the others could rise, Chaos added, added, Everyone else stay where you are. Now, dear lady, whom did this signal? She shook her head. You're being very foolish. You will die if you refuse to tell me. Whom did it signal? Her body began to convulse. She tightly gripped the arms of her chair. Fair to tell you that your body will continue to obey me, even after you pass out. Your autonomous nervous system is overridden by my commands. You will die, tell me, Chaos said. She shook her head, her whole body spasming, trying anything it could to force a breath. How noble, Chaos commented, turning his attention to the rest of the politicians. None of you know how she died. Remember that when you're asked... It is my voice that commands, not my presence. Even a subliminal message could cause your death. There was a thump as the whip collapsed forward onto the table. Her body continued to shake, but she made not a sound. Chaos acted as if it hadn't happened. 
You will send me at this time next week fourteen more of your colleagues. They will be brought into the fold. Our movement will prevail. Now get out! Fourteen bodies rose. Only one didn't make it to the door. That of the whip fell and convulsed at the threshold, feet and legs twitching as if trying to walk. Slowly they stilled. What a lovely color your skin is, madame, Chaos said as he stood over the corpse. Put her in the car. In her car. Then call for help. No one could be blamed for her death, at least not believably. As Chaos walked down the hall toward his office in the warehouse, Lewis came up beside him. Sir, the temp agency called us. Since we took all fourteen of their last offering, they'd... They'd like to offer their services in case we need more help. Chaos stopped, his eyes gleaming as he said, Yes, my dear Lewis. We'll need at least fifty more extras for our next shoot. People representative of districts all around Mars. Make sure the agency pulls them from such pools, and have the lab prepare treatments for as many people. Shall I scrutinize this batch as well, sir? No, Lewis, there will be no need physically fit. Cannon fodder need be no more than that. Chaos left, Lewis standing in the hallway, staring after him. Once in his office, he said aloud, You see? I c you cannot stop this juggernaut I have set in motion. No one can. They will all serve me, but as puppets this time. That was their failing last time, the glimmer of free will that was allowed to remain. No more! These soldiers will be perfect drones! A voice in his head replied, You cannot so easily control those who oppose you. Not all of them, and least of all James. Numbers will make up for ability, Chaos replied to no one. I will have a drone army as big as the stars. Then no one will be able to oppose me. Even the stars can be made to go out, the voice contended. Chaos flew into a rage, sweeping his desk clear, upending it, and hurling it into the wall. It stuck, suspended three feet off the ground, top down, half in and half out of the building. Calmly, Chaos walked over to where his desk comm had landed, righted it, and activated it. Oh, and Lewis, he said when the man answered, I seem to have caused a bit of a mess in my office. Have maintenance come down here? I'll be at the weapons range for the rest of the day. Worth mentioning, if you didn't pick up on it, I really don't edit these uh, episodes. At least not for content. I try and level out the sound, but I figure that I'm not trying to do this professionally to sell this. This is just a, a way to present you the listener with my writing and make it a little more accessible so you know if that completely rubs you the wrong way that I that I do sometimes mess up when I'm reading uh, please let me know head over to uh, my website narclaninc.com slash Chris reads book or just head over to narclaninc.com n-a-r-c-l-a-n-i-n-c.com go to the podcast link to the Chris reads book page and then there are links there for my author Twitter, my author Facebook, and then also an email that you can email me at directly. And through any one of those, please uh, message me 
or email me and let me know, yes, this is you know truly bothering me, Chris, to the point where I can't listen to your podcast, or uh, let me know, no, that's fine. If nothing else, I would just like to know that you are all out there. So with that, moving on to the second chapter, planning a Martian vacation. You've reviewed the recording, Nick asked him. I have. And you're convinced, Nick asked further. Tim sighed. I served under Eric Pullman for what seemed a long time, though that, that was lifetimes ago. Even so, all my memories are as fresh to me today as the day I lived them. So you've said, sir, Nick replied. Tim gave Nick a sidelong, saddened glance before saying, Clearly the man isn't Eric, and clearly Eric was our long-secret contact on Mars. He is the crucible. There is no doubt in my mind the long plans are converging on this man. How can you be certain, sir? Nick asked. Leaning back, Tim replied, He has some of Eric's mannerisms, as well as some of James's, Meng's, Adam's, and he has the abilities that the progenitors possessed. There can be no doubt that he is the Crucible. You're sure? Nick asked again. Tim gave him a slightly weary look. I'm just trying to be prudent. You know that. If he is what you say, then life's about to get really bad. After rubbing his eyes for a moment, Tim replied, uh, I know. And God send that we're prepared. A contemplative smile grew on Nick's face. Never took you for a believer, sir. Haven't always been, Nick, Tim replied, allowing the conversation to distract him momentarily. There would be hard planning and worse decisions to be made very soon. But over the course of five hundred years, things ebb and flow. Tim looked at Nick for a moment, then... Didn't know I was quite that old, did you? I had suspected, sir. Nick was the closest Tim had had to a lifelong friend outside of the Thirteen, outside of the Ghosts. The man deserved to know at least that much. It's a long time to remain stubborn against a belief in some over-deity. Being raised Roman Catholic, it was easy enough to fall back into it, Tim said. Roman Catholic, sir, Nick asked, raising an eyebrow. Trust me, I know. It was an adjustment for me, and I lived through the religious renaissance, Tim said. Why, if you don't mind me asking? Nick had an innate curiosity that drove him to ask such things. But he was also a very good counselor when need be, as now. Pride. Pain. I knew my history, Nick, and couldn't understand why a loving God would allow certain atrocities to happen again and again. Long ago, the sorrow and agony Tim had felt over such things had faded to dull aches. Still, a tear welled up in his eye. Remembering the comrades he had fought with, who were long dead, who had to go through that kind of hell. Then, on top of that, fate delivered the love of my life to the enemy, who used her as a weapon. Her company was sent against mine, and I ended up having to kill her. It wasn't across a distance, either. We were face to face, Nick. 
I saw it when the spark of life faded from her eyes. My knife's still in her, Tim said. There was silence for a moment as Nick processed what he had heard. I, I can't imagine, Nick said at last, just combat alone, but to have to face that. <laughs> the concept of combat. You are going to have to get comfortable with my old friend. If Eric Pullman has passed the mass to the crucible, then chaos has returned to humanity. There will once more be battle, once more human fighting human. You are trained, as are all sensor field operatives. Of course, sir, but it was all just theory then, Nick replied. Despite his obvious doubts, the man's outward demeanor remained stone. I know. But we all know, all learned it for a reason, and the time has finally come, Tim finished, a note of sadness in his voice. So what do we do, sir? We prepare. First, by getting you to Mars. Nick looked surprised. You're sending me to Mars, sir? He asked. Yes, Nick. You're most senior among the suction chiefs, Tim replied. Aside from your 13, Nick interjected. Only one of them was a suction chief currently, and that was due to retire within the month. Still, the point was well taken. It's got to be you, Nick, Tim said, picking up his train of thought. You've talked to this James Hall. He knows you, so you'll be able to build a relationship with him easier than anyone else. Not to mention that I may need the ghosts for something else before this is all over. As much training as Nick had made the censors undergo over the years, the ghosts had done much more. Eric had left behind a fine complement of personnel, from supply sergeants, security chiefs, weapons experts, and even spec ops veterans. Over the centuries, they'd all learned each other's specialty as well as their own. Even without the extra info, Nick was a good agent and took the assignment in stride. Understood, sir. I would suggest, then, that we begin shifting around additional material and personnel to our Mars facility. Tim smiled. Already begun, old friend. The transport you'll be going out on is actually the fifth taking supplies. You'll also have a batch of greenies aboard, fresh out of the academy. Tim's smile deepened. Nick smiled back, shaking his head. You would saddle me with new recruits who've never been off-planet. And to top it off, we're probably flying Blackbird, aren't we? Tim nodded. Only way to get you there faster than in months' time. Have they, um... Side effects been addressed? Nick asked. With a smile, Tim said. They've been mitigated somewhat. Nick, if I didn't know better, I'd say you were frightened. After a hard swallow, Nick replied, Not frightened, sir. The decompression sequence ex exiting the naked singularity is just um, unpleasant. Extreme entropic adjustment, you, you know. Mm. I need you there now, Nick. Otherwise, I wouldn't send you this way. And anyway, wormhole travel is completely safe. As long as you know where both ends are, Nick asked almost sullenly. When do I leave, sir? Sooner the better, though the ship's set to jump the gap in 12 hours. If need be, we can delay it, but I would rather not, Tim said. Roger, sir. 
Nick said as he rose. Talk to you from Mars. He added, shaking Tim's hand before leaving. There were times Tim wondered what it was like for people like Nick, those with natural abilities, having none himself aside from those granted by his second-gen nanites. Tim couldn't imagine. Moreover, as he had had, as he had for the last few centuries, he pondered whether these natural abilities, such as Nick and his subordinate Tammy possessed, were really natural. There were, of course, no nanites in either of them. Of this, Tim was quite certain, even without any hard evidence. So from whence came their abilities? Were they truly the next human evolution? Or were they a quirk in the fabric of humankind, something altogether new and unexpected? Tim knew that it was around the time of the exile that such people had started appearing. At first they had shown up only in northeastern Wisconsin, which had caused no end of trouble. There had been a short-lived witch hunt by the original Lewis and his followers, claiming that the TDF had violated the proclamation and left elites behind. It had sent the ghosts, not to mention those who knew of them at our defense, into a level of panic. After months of hysteria, as well as a strange turn of events centering on a man who was almost a cult leader, Edison Michaels, the witch hunt ended. A few months later, once it was exposed to the truly archaic means they used to test people suspected of being elites, the leaders of the witch hunt were put on trial, and the whole affair was laid to rest. By most, at least. After the fervor had died down, both Nar and Stawes independently sought out Edison Michaels. Neither was ever granted an audience, though both were able to successfully attract some of Edison's followers. Those had eventually, after the Nar-Stawes merger, formed the core of the first group of censors. Even now, the origin of those people remained a mystery. The general population still believed that Wilders were simply people endowed with mythical telepathy or ESP. But the ghosts knew better, after centuries of careful observation. There was a whole subclass of humans who exhibited abilities in every conceivable form, and yet where they came from continued to elude Tim's scrutiny. It was as if whomever held the secret was actively hiding it. More yet, that they had built a massive organization with which to hide the secret. People such as Nick, who had been born with these abilities, weren't aware of such an organization, of course. But then again, few people knew the true ties that bound the censors in the Atmo underground. Tim might not have proof, but he knew such an organization of Wilders existed, and was hiding the truth of its people from him. For the moment, though, he had to set such things aside. His immediate concern had to be the goings-on on Mars. Chaos had to be back, which meant he had to prepare. Keying up, keying up the comm program on his desktop interface, Tim activated Ghost Protocol 1. Very rarely did all thirteen of them meet anymore. But this was too big, not to bring everyone in on it. Leaving his office, Tim walked toward his quarters. It would be a day before some of the thirteen would arrive, and lately he hadn't spent nearly enough time with his Tanya. Tonight was their anniversary, and he was cooking. Not their wedding anniversary, but rather of when they first met all those years ago. For the rest of the night, Tim put all other cares out of his mind. He had done what he could that day, and the rest could wait for tomorrow.
And that was the second chapter I'm going to cover today, Planning a Martian Vacation. All right. So, again, those were the chapters I'm going to be uh, reading for you today. And I highly encourage you to let me know that you're out there, that you're either downloading or listening to these right off of the website, narclanning.com slash chrisreadsbook, or going out to iTunes or your favorite podcast application and searching for me there by searching for Chris Reed's book or by my name, Chris Pullman, P-O-H-L-M-A-N. If you want to help support this podcast, you can do that by sharing these episodes, this episode, any of the back episodes, or any new ones, Hello Future People, with a friend, a family member, a friend, a co-worker, someone you think would enjoy listening to my writing. Or even better, go and download uh, my books out there. I have them linked off the website. And let me know if, what you think of those. Thank you in advance for anything you do to help support me as an author. Have a good weekend, a happy Thanksgiving if you're in the U.S., as I am, and uh, we will see you next week.